Hello, everyone. My name is Andrew Puzak. And I'm Holden Orb. And we represent Vigilant Geek Media, and this is the Vigilant Geek Podcast. Uh, we are here to bring you up-to-date information on everything in the comic book realm. We're talking comic book universes, Marvel and DC. We're talking cinematic universes here. We are talking independent labels, anything comic books, anything at all. We are here to bring you that information. Yeah, also... uh I guess in further episodes, we'll cover other stuff like manga and anime and cartoons and video games, stuff like that. Just, you know, it wouldn't be the Vigilant Geek unless we covered everything. That's right, Holden. Uh, although for this week, uh, we are going to strictly cover uh, the Marvel Universe. So we're going to talk Marvel Comics. We're going to talk the Cinematic Universe. We're going to give you some picks on what to pick up at your local bookstores. Uh Holden, why don't we start off here by talking about what the heck is going on in the Marvel Comics universe at this point in time. All right. So if you're familiar with the Marvel universe, none of this will come as any surprise. Uh, otherwise, you might learn something, I guess. So <clears throat> the big thing with the Marvel universe right now is uh, a lot of everything has been hinging on this w- on the work of Jonathan Hickman and his work on Avengers and New Avengers over the past two to three years. And what it's involved is Marvel's getting really crazy with, like, crossing over into different dimensions and other different separate universes and somehow interacting with them. And uh, this has to do with the deal with the two books, Avengers and New Avengers. Um, mostly hinges on the New Avengers book, which is compromised some of the most intelligent uh, hero- and influential heroes in the Marvel Universe, mainly um, Reed Richards... Tony Stark, Hank McCoy, Bruce Banner, Iron Man, Namor. Did I already say Black Panther? No, but he's definitely a part of it. Right, yeah. So these are all the main characters. And uh, what they've been dealing with is this uh, occurrence called the Convergence. And the the whole theory in that is is that universes are colliding at one specific point, namely Earth, uh, because, you know... If they did it on another planet, it wouldn't be quite as interesting, I guess. So what happens is these two Earths start trying to take the same place within the universe. But if they do, they'll collide and destroy the whole universe. Or the and, multiverse? Uh, or is it? do they even call it the multiverse in Marvel? I know it's a DC thing. No, they, they overlap pretty bad. So let's just go. <laughs> let's just go with that. We're going with that. All right, let's do it. So... <clears throat> So they're trying to come up with plans. They're trying to make it so that they, like, make it so the Earths don't collide, but they're all heroes and they have this moral decision. Well, after a while, trying to find solutions for it while destroying other Earths is a really hard decision for them. But then yet they end up like, oh, we're going to make the hard choice. And they try using the Infinity Gauntlet to prevent it, and then it broke. And then, then after that, they're like, oh, well, let's just make weapons of mass destruction and blow up the other Earths. So they finally get around to doing that, and when it comes time to do it, they they choose not to. But Namor's like, "You're don't be such wusses. This is a hard decision. I'd much rather have my people survive." So he does it, and then they end up destroying one of the Earths, and they're like, "Oh man, what have we done?" 
And in doing so, the repercussions for that, I mean, you got that ultimate Marvel universe that has essentially ceased to exist or is going to cease to exist, or what are they going to do with those characters that they've already created? Um, I think they killed off most of them already. Uh, I don't think anyone really likes anyone except for Miles Morales. Right, who's going to be having his own title book. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways... Uh, Leading up to that, they go and then they decide that they're just going to let the the multiverse end. And then they're like, then when it doesn't, they realize that Thanos and a bunch of other really powerful villains are using those weapons of mass destruction to go ahead and do the job that they wouldn't do. And they end up blowing up all these different Earths from other realities up until a point where there are only two left. And that's where the new Secret Wars arc began. Um, so... At the beginning of Secret Wars, there's a convergence between the ultra, uh, ultimate Marvel Universe and the normal Marvel Universe. And they go ahead and they collide and there's this big event and everyone's fighting, trying to destroy the other one. Meanwhile, uh, Reed Richards, I guess uh, the one from the Ultimate Universe and the one from the Marvel Universe both make these special ships that will survive outside of reality or whatever. And... It comes down to it, they collide, all of a sudden the universe is completely just messed up. And nothing exists. And it was put into action by these cosmic entities known as the Beyonders. So, while all that happened, behind the scenes, uh, Doctor Doom was using, in cahoots with the Molecule Man, and he was told to assassinate the Molecule Man over in every different reality and start building a religion so that people would start following him. Now, if I could just stop you for one second, what I really like about that is if you read the original Secret Wars from back in, I want to say, 85, 86... I might be wrong about that. No, it's like 85, 86. Okay. Well, if, if you read the original, that treacherous, treacherous bastard, Dr. Doom, I mean, he manipulates Molecule Man. Now, Molecule Man is an interesting character because he's essentially one of the most powerful villains in the Marvel Universe. But you wouldn't think so by his demeanor because he's just kind of a pushover. Now, Dr. Doom uses this to his advantage in the original Secret Wars and manipulates him in a very similar way as he's doing right now. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, things have completely changed, uh, in that shape with Dr. Doom and, uh, his control over the, over the Marvel Universe now, the new one in place after that convergence. Right. So what happens is, is Dr. Doom kills all these molecule men. I guess he's still got the original hanging out with him and he gets together with Dr. Strange and they're both trying to stop this, the end. And they realize that they can't do it, but they realize what they can do is try to stop the Beyonders, which is incredibly hard considering that they killed all the Celestials and every other cosmic being that everyone else is terrified of. But, lo and behold, Dr. Doom prevails. He ends up killing all the Beyonders, leaving all, all this power to himself. He gains the power of a god, and he takes the remnants of what's left left over from all these other destroyed universes and creates one world called Battle World. And he ends up setting up these fiefdoms and then main Marvel characters are then given the title of Baron over certain territories where they rule absolutely. And 
It's got this medieval Game of Thrones feel where each hero from each territory is kind of playing the other one in order to abide power from the other. And that's pretty much where the story at Secret Wars is right now. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of these barons, because I get a kick out of it, personally. There's a lot of cool characters that uh, they have chosen. Doctor Doom is chosen to be sort of like his... Uh, He's like his nobility class, if you will, barons of different lands, like Mr. Sinister, for instance. <laughs> I don't know if I would choose him personally, uh, you know, but he's just waiting to be screwed over. And he is screwed over, and Mr. Sinister reaps the repercussions of that, uh, as you can tell in the book. Uh, what about some of these other barons that they got uh, right now? I know Captain Britain is one. Yeah, Captain Britain was one. Uh, I believe one of the Cyclopses from Inferno is a Baron. Which uh, is cool. Uh, this old version of the Hulk with the beard in Future Imperfect is a Baron where he rules with an iron fist and just like lives to fight people. Um, I believe there's another Hulk who's also a Baron. Um, actually, I don't know. Like, I haven't gotten in too deep into the, a lot of the, uh, the side books. Mostly just because I kind of feel like ripped off from all the side books I picked up during DC's event convergence. Oh, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I blew a lot of excess money. Well, excess isn't really the right word. It's never excess money, but yeah. Um, from what I've heard, though, the Secret Wars uh, side books and tie-ins are actually like phenomenal. And uh, I know the one that I've really been enjoying lately is uh Deadpool Secret Wars where they kind of take uh Deadpool and put him in the original Secret Wars story and he's essentially just there, you know, making his little side comments in the peanut gallery and screwing stuff up and it's just a riot and uh they've done uh he gets healed and he has this like long blonde hair yeah. and like, <laughs> this cheesy like 70s porno mustache it's great. Is like that is sort of how I picture Wade Wilson prior to the Weapon X uh, experiments. So that's pretty neat what they've been doing there. Now, um, let's just talk one more thing about Secret Wars that I personally really enjoy, and that is Doctor Doom's secret. Uh, well, they're not so secret, but Doctor Doom's. Uh, uh, Thor core, if you will. Oh, yeah let's, yeah. let's talk about his muscle. Well, Doom's got some serious muscle in the Marvel Universe now. Every Thor that's ever really been in existence is now part of his army, uh, doing his bidding. And you got a character that that's, you know, as powerful as a god, uh, uh, working for Doom. I mean, he really is the master manipulator here. Uh, in the new Marvel universe they're creating, and I'm just getting a kick out of him sicking the Thor core on people. Uh, it's just, it, it's sort of like a warped, you know, unethical Green Lantern core, if you will. And, and it's just, it's added to the whole big I, story they're creating. I and, know. I, I love the similarities. It's like each Thor has their own hammer. They all need to be worthy, but they all have pretty much the same power set as the, as Thor did. <clears throat> and, uh, I just I, I love that idea, and then I mean, what what better police force to have than have like hundreds of like god level beings to like go out and like clean up messes that you like just need dealing with? Like that's probably like the most powerful secret police you can deal with. 
Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, so I guess as secret wars ensues over the past, the next, uh, six months or so or eight months or however long. I think, I think they're getting ready to do, uh, what do they call in the new Marvel line? They keep renaming it every, it's the all new, all different Marvel as opposed to all new Marvel when they like fake rebooted. Right. Back when DC did the new 52. Yeah, Marvel just felt like, oh, the distinct competition is rebooting, so I guess we'll just randomly reboot too. Uh, yeah, I'm just like wondering when the whole industry is going to be like, hey, people love buying number ones, why don't we just keep every book and just call it number one? <laughs> and then people will want to be like, this is going to be a collector's item, it's a number one. Yeah, well, that's where they get you, cha-ching, cha-ching. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if there's one last thing I could say about Secret Wars, it... It's pretty much, I am interested in finding out what opposing force is even going to be competitive in taking out Doom at this point in time. He's so powerful, he's got an army of gods, he's got these powerful barons across the lands, like you said, sort of a Game of Thrones scenario. It's going to be real interesting to see if there's any... Avengers or I mean who the heck is going to oppose him at this point in time well we're gonna have to wait and find out that's so what you need to do is get your hands on number three and then then I bet you could come up with a couple hypotheses I don't want to ruin it for you but yeah I'll, I'll I have yet to read uh, Secret Wars number three and four because number three has been impossible for me to find I had to order it specially but uh, yeah I don't know what it is like there's just that one in particular just like people like really had a hard on just for like a random like randomly number three. Well, like I said, we will uh we'll find out uh more about it as time goes on, but it's definitely the most exciting thing happening in Marvel right now. Uh so how about we switch gears for a second here and uh I kinda wanna discuss for a minute if we could uh what they've been doing over the past year or so, uh sort of mashing up the Guardians of the Galaxy with the X-Men. It's been really cool. Uh, it sort of started with Star-Lord and Kitty Pride getting together, which I think is a great uh, relationship within the Marvel Universe. They, they work well off of each other. You know, Star-Lord is kind of the, uh, you know, rebellious, uh, intergalactic you know, scoundrel, if you will. And then you got Kitty Pride, who's kind of, uh, a by the book, uh, well, professor at the, uh, at the Jean Grey school. So, um, it's an interesting matchup there. And it's brought the Guardians and the X-Men together on more than one occasion. Uh, the most recent and most prominent being, uh, the Black Vortex arc, uh, where they had that, uh, cosmic, uh, mirror, if you will, antiquity, the black vortex that shows the person who looks into the black vortex, their, uh, ultimate potential. Of course, Gamora is immediately attracted to this and she becomes a super warrior woman. Not that she wasn't already, uh, a particular female that I would personally watch out for at all times. Uh, not that you don't want to watch out for them all. 
Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they can and, be tricky, those females in the Marvel U. Yeah, uh, well, that's, I think one of the main reasons it meshed so well is just because Brian Michael Bendis has been writing both all new X-Men since he came out, and he's been writing Guardians of the Galaxy for about a couple years now. And on Canny X-Men too, so yeah, he's, uh, He's sort of the, the, the mind of this whole arc and, and ev- everything within those, you know, the X-Men realm, the Guardians realm put together. It's, it's just been mashing up great. Yeah, they've had several good stories. Um, I, the, the first one was the, uh, the original crossover when Jean Grey ends up getting kidnapped by the Shi'ar Empire and she ends up going on trial and then the all new X-Men and the Guardians of the Galaxy get together to go and and save her, and then that's when young Cyclops ends up meeting his father, and Jean Grey ends up developing a new power set, and the Shi'ar Emperor is pretty much told, like, you try this again, like, every mutant on Earth is going to, like, ram their fist down your throat. <laughs> and, and, uh, and this all hinged on the fact that because the old Jean Grey was was possessed by the Phoenix Force already, and then they're holding her for crimes that her past self, that her future self, committed under the influence of possession from this Phoenix spirit. And it just seemed really hypocritical, and I think they were just kind of pandering to masses with the Empire. It didn't really work out with them. Um, And then that's when uh, you get some different dynamics. Um, That's where Jean Grey and Star-Lord ended up getting together. And then they continued a relationship over the books over the next few months until the Black Vortex, which Andrew just explained. Yeah. um, I mean, that brought apart uh, some different things. Some characters were changed, like Kitty Pryde's powers are cosmic now. Um, Gamora went through a permanent change. Groot went through an ultimate change. Um... Let's see, Iceman went through the change, but he reverted back. But they say that he was changed specifically, but then it turns out that the young Iceman is actually a homosexual. Yeah, now, that was part of the arc that I was actually a little confused about. Like, is he, is he not, was it, I mean, what did... Were they were they kind of just pulling a fast one on the readers there? Uh, I don't think it's real clear. Um, I guess, like, all the different... The all new X Men from them. They all went through changes before they like. It was either it happened before the mirror, but then Jean Grey said that she'd been reading his mind and calling him out because he's trying to look straighter than he actually is. And <laughs> he's definitely overcompensating. He was he, yeah. was he was either changed by the mirror or just something to do with being pulled out of time and brought to a new reality somehow changed him, which I don't know how popular of an idea that would be through the LGBT community because they say it's like, well, you know, from birth. So it's just, uh, I mean, I guess Marvel, Marvel's just got to be careful with like how they develop their star- characters and stuff. Stay away from stereotypes and things like that. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, another thing happened before, like uh, back in uh, one of the first few issues when they were doing the Batgirl Burnside in DC, they uh, they had a villain called Dagger Type, and it was a. Uh, I love this, by the way, but continue. continue. Yeah, yeah, it was a transsexual male who was dressing up as Batwoman and committing crimes and just like, like trying to get all sorts of attention and like posting like. Instagram pictures, like, or the, like, Gotham equipment, uh, equivalent of Instagram. And then, so the story went through. I didn't think it was all that big a deal, but I guess there was a lot of outcry. It was like, no, we can't have any negative anything to do with that. And 
I just kind of thought that, like, well, like, at least you're getting mentioned. Like, people, like, are actually acknowledging that, like, that exists in reality, whereas opposed, like, the world of comics would have murderers and serial killers and rapists and all these things, but they wouldn't have anyone who was gay or transgendered. And, uh, and, I mean, over the past couple years, it's been really progressive in that regard. I just kind of feel that, like, everyone needs to be represented, but, like, don't get pissed off when... You're not represented how you feel like you should be represented, I guess. I mean, it's fiction. I mean... Well, yeah. That's the first thing people need to remember is it's just a story. And if I could just say one more thing on that topic, you talk about the Batgirl of Burnside, which I loved. I loved the arc. It was great. And, you know, I thought it was so creative of Gail Simone because... Well, she actually didn't write that. It's actually done by... Oh, right, right. Uh... Brendan Fletcher, well, actually, I don't know. It's Fletcher, Stewart, and, and Babs Tar. Babs Tar, right? Drew, they all, yeah. They all work on the book. Oh, I'm bull- sorry if I'm not, like, good on names. Sorry. No, that's all right. Belay My Last. That's right. Gail Simone left the book prior to that arc. Belay My Last. But anyways, um, if you think about it for a second, I mean, for a new, fresh villain, what is creepier than a drag queen? Let's be honest here, okay? What is creepier than that? Nothing. I mean, you get a drag queen that's, first of all, visually, I mean, I might get nailed to the cross for this, but visually disturbing. They didn't, maybe that's why the LB, LGBT community was so upset to begin with, but it made for a hell of a villain, especially you know, for Bat- Batgirl to go up against. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I thought it was a good story. I didn't really see the big deal. Um... And then, And then, you know, in regards, let's talk about Batgirl for one more second. This is a Marvel cast today, but, you know, <laughs> they made the biggest deal out of that Joker cover uh, where, you know, he had the uh, Joker smile uh, done up on Batgirl's face and he had a knife to her throat. And it, it was violent, but comics are violent, <clears throat> and they're going to make a big deal out of a cover like that. And then, uh, you know, they got this other thing going on. With the, uh, you know, the trans, the transsexual or the drag queen, whatever you want to look at it. Yeah, the, the book seems and, to be kind of a lightning rod, um, for a lot of these issues. I mean, I agree that the, the cover was extremely creepy and maybe in a little bit of poor taste, but like, what a lot of people fail to realize about art is art, if it's good, is going to engage with the person viewing it in emotional reaction. Now, whether the reaction is, wow, that makes me feel dirty and uncomfortable, like, that doesn't really matter. I mean, it's still good. Art's not going to make you feel warm and fuzzy all the time. And to the point, well, a lot of people felt uncomfortable, and then it was the artist's right to go ahead and pull the cover. DC didn't make them pull the cover. They decided to on their own, which is also their right. So... Oh, no, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. We should probably... Let's change gears. Get get back on topic. Um, Let's talk Spider-Man. All right. Yeah, I mean... I mean, all right. It's a a good uh, subject as any. Um, So Dan Slott has been working on Spider-Man for almost... God, it feels like it's almost like five years now. And uh, it was real controversial when he did the Superior Spider... Well... It's not necessarily an arc, but it almost is, because for, like, every two weeks, he would have the Spider-Man 
with Dr. Octopus's persona in Peter Parker's body. And it was, it came out timely, the art was amazing, the story was fresh. And then, even though it got a little old towards the end, eventually they came back, they bring back the normal Peter Parker and his Peter Parker body, and he goes and he cleans up the mess, and great power, great responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Now, let me just stop you right there and just give a quick background as to how all that happened. Uh, I've, I'm a long-time spider reader. I've been reading Slot's work since he started writing on the book. I've been reading, I mean... I learned how to read uh, as a youngster with my my old man reading Spider-Man comics, oddly enough. Uh, um, I've been following Dan Slott's work since the beginning. And uh, obviously my favorite arc that he did was back, way back, Amazing Spider-Man. I think it might have been 2012, 2013 with Spider-Islands. But all right, let's fast forward now to where you were talking there with the Superior Spider-Man. That was a fresh arc. Basically, what happened there is Dr. Octopus uh, developed a brain-swapping device, if you will. Now, you got to really keep an open mind for some of these Dan Slott arcs because they're a little out there. Uh, I don't know if Dan Slott carries a big bag of weed around with him or what, but you got to kind of be on his level to really, like, you know, move along with these arcs because that's just how they are. But, okay, so a brain-swapping device. Dr. Octopus is dying, and they're falling from Avengers Tower. Uh, Spider-Man and, and Doc Ock fighting. Uh, Spider-Man's trying to put him back in uh, the maximum security prison. While he's in on the brink of dying, he switches bodies with Peter Parker using the brain-swapping device, uh, making Dr. Octop- Octopus... Uh, the new Spider-Man and Peter Parker uh, ends up dying in Dr. Octopus's body. So you got Doc Ock running around as Spider-Man for a solid year or so, uh, messing up Peter Parker's life. And there's a lot of repercussions that come for that, but a lot of good things too. You got uh, Octavius, he, he realizes Peter Parker's not a doctor. He never got his doctorate. Well, that's unacceptable to Doc Ock. So he goes back to school as Peter Parker and gets the doctorate's degree. You know, in his spare time. And then, uh, you know, he develops Parker Industries. So, you know, when Peter Parker gets his body back from Octavius, which is bogus anyways, but like I said, you get on Slot's level. You try to believe what he's writing, at least a little. So he gets, you know, he gets his body back. He's a doctor. He's got his company. New girlfriend. New girlfriends, which he didn't expect, who's... uh what, three, four feet tall, Anna Maria Marcona. Yeah. Marconi. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, but I don't know where he's going with that either. I'm not going to lie. But then we get into, you know, uh, Par- Peter Parker. He, he, he's sort of being developed as, as, as like a Tony Stark at this point where, you know, he's this big tech whiz who's got this company and, uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, the, the let's let's not leave out Spider Verse. That's is, yeah, that's where I was going next. The, the concept of this story is such that I couldn't bother picking it up, and there's a couple reasons for that. For for one, it's uh, based on the fact that there's these interdimensional vampires that eat different Spider Man across different universes connected in the multiverse. That's what oh, they, they, no, it's connected by the Great Web. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what they're which is it. which is a real thing. Oh, it's a thing now. 
Well, at least in the Marvel Universe. I don't know where the Great Web uh, plays into the time-space continuum or the Marvel Universe or anything like that. But it's a thing, apparently, because Dan Slott decided so. So anyways, yeah, just like Holden said, you got all these different Spider-Men. You got Spider-Ham, the Spider-Pig. You have the Captain Britain Spider-Man, the Punk Rock Spider-Man, Spider-Gwen, uh, which, you know, I've heard is taken off as a character. I'm not really a fan. Uh, Silk, who's a main character in that arc, yeah. who I actually like a lot. Yeah, her book's actually pretty interesting. Now, yeah. Silk, the thing about her is apparently when Peter Parker got bitten by the radioactive spider, he was not the only one. Apparently, yeah. uh, Silk also got bit by the same spider, and she's sort of like uh, a kindred spirit with Peter Parker, as you will. Uh, they can't really keep their hands off each other, and there's a reason for that. It's because they were both, they have the same radioactive spider qualities, but not to get on too much of a tangent, back to Spider-Verse, you got all these different Spider-Men with the same powers, and it was just a little too hokey for me, a little too unbelievable. Yeah, the, the story looked like it was more geared towards trying to push Disney's cartoon of the same name. Selling action figures. Selling action figures, and then... If it weren't for this fact that I'm about to mention, I probably would have gotten into it. Not only was there one spider book that you picked up, but there were about five books a week that you needed in order to be in tune with the whole story. I think it like runs like 30 books to complete the whole arc. And that's how they get you. And it's just for me, I personally couldn't do it. Um, it was just like 30 books. It's just like so much money to try to invest in a story that I wouldn't be that in new in the first place. And that was just an enormous turnoff for me. So I guess they're, they're, they just came out of, uh, they just came out of the Spider-Verse arc and now they, uh, he's having, he's back to like punching purse snatchers and hanging them upside down from lampposts, which is one of the things I like about Spider-Man. Like, he, cause he's more of like the everyman superhero and he like, he does this boots on the ground stuff and he's not always fighting cosmic superpowered villains. And he's usually tangling with, uh, people who are more of the organized crime element. And that's the cool thing about Spider-Man, uh, and why I like the character so much as a whole. I might not like the arcs that are coming out right now, but, uh, he's the ultimate multitasker and he's so versatile. You can stick Spider-Man in an Infinity War scenario or you could stick him on the street with Daredevil and the Heroes for Hire or whatever and it'll be a good story typically. It's just one of those characters. You can put him anywhere. You know, he's always got a, a nice quip or two to add to whatever's going on and, uh, you know, no matter how many people are constantly shitting on him, which is Peter Parker's life, the Parker luck they call it, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, whatever girlfriends he's with, he's always racing around the city, solving uh, crimes. Always late for everything. I mean, with the way that things have kind of changed, it just kind of is screwing around with the whole Spider-Man dynamic. Spider-Man is always the man who is there to make the hard choice. He's not always there for the people he cares about most because... He's got this responsibility towards everyone, and he's usually down on his luck and can't like afford to like pay to feed himself, like or let alone keep an apartment or something. But now what they've done is they've made him the CEO to this enormous tech company, and I don't know. It's just it's so. I mean, it's 
sometimes doing different things with characters can be good, but just the way it's going right now, they I guess they really need to tread like a fine line before they just turn off the fan base, which I'm sure there are plenty already, or there's some who will begrudgingly read the books anyways. Like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I guess I'm in that boat too. I mean, just as long as they don't do like these crossing story arcs trying to get us to buy books that we wouldn't normally pick up anyways. Which they always will. Because they need to make money. This industry needs to make money. I understand that. And, you know, I understand that characters need to evolve over time. You cannot keep having the status quo with a character like Spider-Man, Peter Parker. He's not still in high school anymore. High school only lasts for four years. College only lasts for four years. Midtown or whatever, high school or... uh, Midtown College or University. Either way. So he's evolved and Doc Ock kind of pushed him towards that, which is something I, I do, I do like. Uh, forced him by making those changes to Parker's life while he was in Parker's body to become more of an adult, which some people enjoy. They enjoy, uh, the more mature Peter Parker. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you on that where I personally, uh, I like, you know, the status quo Spider-Man, but at the same time, I understand that you can't just have the same thing going on for 50, 60 years. So, uh, it'd be interesting to see, uh, how Slot progresses with the story before he eventually, I assume, will move on from it and we'll get someone fresh, but, uh. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, little, I mean, I guess you can have your hiccups with your arcs. But I, I guess it is really too soon to be yelling witch and try to burn him at the stake. <laughs> I mean, he really has done a lot of great story arcs. Spider Island was amazing. Oh, I really such a good Superior, story. Spider-Man. You know, the arc they had, too, uh, they had one other arc that was, and this is a tangent, so after this we'll move on. But um, between Spider Island and Superior Spider-Man, there was one arc in between that that I loved. And it was Dr. Octopus, uh, yet again. Uh, trying to take over the world. He convinced the United Nations that, uh, he had this device that could, uh, substitute, uh, for the ozone layer, cause the ozone layer was being destroyed by the, you know, pollution and this and that. And now he predicted that, you know, the planet was gonna be burnt to a crisp by the sun, but if everyone trusted him, he could save the earth. But really, his device was gonna destroy the earth and blow it up. Was one last, you know, F you to Spider-Man as he, you know, was dying. Well, you know, and we know, obviously know that all of this, you know, Spider-Man thwarted him and that got led into superior Spider-Man. But yeah, um, just to throw out there one last arc there that Dan Slott really success, uh, excelled in. Uh, he's done some amazing stuff. It's just lately things have just been too out there, but, uh, Let's change gears one last time. Before we get into talking about the cinematic universe, I just want to mention a quick segment that I like to call the fringe. So what Andrew refers to as the fringe is characters that exist within the Marvel universe of books but aren't necessarily enormous main characters and kind of operate outside of all of these major storylines. Uh, characters like this would be like uh, <clears throat> a Deadpool or a Moon Knight or a Punisher or a Daredevil. Correct. Yeah. So um, you're the resident fringe expert on uh, Marvel for sure. So uh, take it away. Oh, yeah. No, I love my fringe characters uh, mainly because uh, throughout time as a Marvel fan, 
I got less and less into the Avengers because, frankly, there was just too many damn Avengers. Oh, yeah. No, there's so many of them now. There's, there's like 30 different characters you got to follow, and it's just too much for me. So I said, all right, let's check out some of these characters that uh, aren't necessarily a large part of the main arcs in the universe. Let's talk about characters that are doing their own thing. Characters, all right, well, let's talk about Daredevil first. He's my favorite Fringe character. Uh, obviously, you know, I am a gigantic fan of the Netflix series, and we'll get into that in a few moments, but uh, let's talk about the book. Now, uh, I'm actually, as a longtime Daredevil fan, I'm not a big fan of what Mark Wade's been up to right now with Daredevil. It's been very ho-hum. Uh, you look at what happened in Daredevil before they rebooted it, and there's a lot of cool stuff. You know, he stabs Bullseye right in the head. Uh, when Bullseye's in that containment uh, thingy-majigger where, you know, he's paralyzed and he can't move, but yet he's still using his mind to plot against Daredevil and getting other assassins after him and this and that. Daredevil figures it all out, and he takes a sword right to, in between Bullseye's eyes and ends the whole thing. Shortly after that, of course, as readers know, uh, he had to out himself in the middle of court to take down the Serpent Society, uh, and thus everyone knows that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, forcing him to be disbarred in the state of New York. So where we're at right now, he's, he, you know, he moved with his girlfriend, Kirsten McDuffie, to, uh, San Francisco. He's practicing law there. He's writing his memoirs, or he's not even writing it. He's having Foggy Nelson write it for him. And he's prancing around in this red tuxedo. He doesn't wear the costume anymore. He's got this red suit with these rose-colored glasses. He looks kind of like a, if, you know, Elton John were to take, uh, you know, uh, fat burners for a year. You know, that's pretty much what he'd look like. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Daredevil to me has always been like a really dark, gritty crime noir story. And, you know, you look at some of like the big names that have, have done that book. You look at Frank Miller, Brian Michael Bendis, like that is, they captured that so well. And Mark Wade too, uh, up until recently. Now, I, you gotta keep in mind that, you know, once, uh, a, a superhero outs themselves, outs their secret identity. Like, where are you going to take that story after that? So, you know, I think with, with what he left himself with, Mark Wade has done pretty good with the story, but it's still, like I said, it's very ho-hum. It's very, I don't want to say boring, but, you know, yeah, it it's very yawn-inducing, I'd say. Um, I really hope that something happens where, you know, we get DD back in the... uh the devil horns and get them back into action and stop prancing around like Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> well, with the way things are looking now, I mean, they have previews out based on what's going to be coming out uh, for the the lineup after Secret Wars. And I guess after Secret Wars, it's just going to completely reset the whole status quo as far as everything that's going on. So, oh man, it's really bad character development that everyone knows who Daredevil is, well, maybe no one knows who Daredevil is after Secret Wars. I mean, the whole yeah. universe has been destroyed. People might have a foggy memory if they have the whole universe destroyed. So, And I think that is, that's the way of Marvel, or any big label for that matter, cleaning, sort of cleaning their slate, if they will, and starting fresh. Now, I heard that, that you know, not everything is going to stay fresh. I've heard that 
I forget who's writing Captain America right now, but uh, Sam Wilson is going to remain Captain America. That is set in stone for a while. Uh, your thoughts? Um, he actually fits the character very well. Um, I was just, I've always wondered for a little while how they're going to take care of his power set. Cause he's kind of, I mean, he's a real athletic guy and he's still got his wings, but now it's just, he's got the wings and now that he carries the shield, he's just tougher than everybody else. I never really understood that. Cause, uh, before as Captain Falcon, he was never really much of the main character. No, he was essentially Captain America's sidekick and there was nothing wrong with that cause he was probably, the most badass sidekick for a sidekick uh, you could have in Marvel, I'd say. I, I can't think of anyone, I mean, cooler than him. Bucky Barnes. I mean, until Bucky Barnes became the Winter Soldier, uh, I mean, he wasn't a big deal, really. And uh, there's other characters out there. But, yeah, I've always been really cool with the Falcon. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, I think it'll work over well. I mean... He doesn't have that super soldier strength that Steve Rogers has, though, so that'll be interesting. I don't know. Maybe they'll tie it in somehow, or maybe he just doesn't need it. Uh, I mean, with the way things are now, um, back during an arc called the Iron Nail, Captain America ended up losing his superpowers, and now he's just, like, really old. And what he's done is effectively taken the place of Nick Fury... Before the whole um, original Sin arc where they discover that that the Watcher has been assassinated. And as it turns out, Nick Fury was the one who did it. But now Nick Fury is the one who watches. And now that Captain America is all old, he's still, you know, very savvy. And his mind's all there. But he's not super strong and athletic anymore, but he's still an asset to the Marvel Universe. Well, he's, yeah, he's still the ultimate strategist, like sort of how Batman is for the Justice League. You know, a lot of times Batman has to sit it out because of some cosmic entity that, you know, like, like let's face it, you know, Superman and Green Lantern yeah. and all that, they're more equipped for that. But you still got Batman as the strategist, and that's sort of the way Steve Rogers is now for the Avengers. He's like the ultimate strategist for them. Which is pretty pretty neat and pretty believable, I'd say. Yep, let's see. I got my uh, all-new, all-different free preview here that they've been handing out at the comic shops. I picked this up on my subscription. It says that Nick Spencer will be writing Sam Wilson, Captain America with Daniel Kuna. Um, oh, okay, uh, yep. He's a good artist. <clears throat> now, um... We'll talk about Nick Spencer again in a second because I love, love, love what he did on that five-book Ant-Man run. But uh, first, let's finish up with the Fringe real quick, if we could. Um, just a few more characters I want to touch upon that they've really been doing a great job with. Uh, we got uh, Moon Knight. Declan Shalvey has been writing that, doing a phenomenal job. Uh, Moon Knight, as you know, is sort of... Uh, an insane mercenary who uh, has been ordained by the uh, powers of an Egyptian god named Khonshu, an Egyptian deity, if you will. So he's got these powers of a deity. Uh, and the whole time that they've been doing the Moon Knight arc, uh, it's just sort of been him. You know, he's thwarting crimes, but at the same time, he's just been going more and more insane, talking to himself, talking to Conchu, but Conchu's there, but he might not really be there. It might just be uh, Mark Spector going insane. 
Uh, he's in and out of insane asylums. It's it's just been a, it's been an interesting read. It's a different, fresh character that that Marvel Marvel doesn't typically do a lot of the dark, dark characters, especially now that Disney is sort of overseeing things. And it's great to see that they can still you know put out these characters like this, or the Punisher, for instance, who has been battling everyone. Uh, he started out in L.A. He had a nice street fight with Electro. Uh, then he, you know, he starts taking down gangs in, in LA, but he gets captured by the Howling Commandos, the new Howling Commandos that, uh, have been developed as a special ops team, uh, for, through Shield. Uh, gets away from them with the help of Black Widow, but Black Widow throws him in another jail. He breaks out of there, uh, teams up with the Commandos after they, you know, have a heart to heart, if you will. He goes back after those same, uh, Del Sol is the name of the, the big gang he's taking down in LA right now. It's pretty exciting stuff. Punisher, when, it's really hard to mess up the Punisher. Punisher is the most down and dirty, gritty SOB in the Marvel Universe. And, uh, Nathan Edmondson is just, you know, taking, what some of the other big names have done over the past few years and, and just continued just with this character that just doesn't take anyone's shit and just doesn't really care. If you're a villain, if, if you're, if you're a evildoer, you're getting a bullet between the eyes and that's that. And there's some people in America that sympathize with that and others that think he's a murdering psychopath. And that is a cool controversy around the Punisher is that, uh, you can never really tell whether he's truly a good guy or not. Uh, yeah. It's neat. So you got that. You got Moon Knight. Daredevil's been ho-hum. Uh, Deathlock, on the other hand, has been really cool. Has it um, really? Well, I haven't even checked that one out. Well, it might be who of you when it comes out in softcover just to breeze through it because, uh, you know, Deathlock is – a really interesting character. I love cyborgs to begin with. Like, I think cyborgs are just cool. Like, I can't wait for the cyborg book to come out for DC because I love cyborgs. I just do. I love everything about them. But the cool thing about Deathlock is a new Deathlock now. Michael Collins is a retired Deathlock, but he's in the book too. But you got uh, the new Deathlock, Henry Hayes. Now, he's been brainwashed. And, uh, this, this corporation biotech is using them to assassinate people, but they keep, you know, uh, wiping his brain clean, making him think that he's actually an EMT, like a, you know, in, in the middle of a firefight, constantly saving people. Uh, well, he eventually finds out that he's being controlled by a computer at biotech. You know, he breaks in and raises hell and it's just badass. The last issue with Deathlock is just, gruesome and awesome once again nathan edmondson he's a great great writer for those fringe characters and i hope he stays with it for a while well i'll talk about uh, a couple of my personal favorites uh ant-man has been really good uh oh god it's been so good it uh i enjoy it mostly because it actually brings like in, in comics in general it's kind of hard to write something that is actually funny and Ant-Man, the, um, well, the Scott Lang Ant- Ant-Man is one of the biggest wise asses in the Marvel Universe, right up next to maybe Spider-Man and, uh, and Deadpool. And it's, the, the story 
I like because it, it, it brings a sort of lighthearted humor to what he does. He, his power set doesn't seem to be all that impressive, but it's good for what he does, like breaking into places and stuff like that. And, uh, I guess the whole concept was that they, he goes down to Miami to be closer to his daughter and he, and he ends up starting his own security firm and he ends up like hiring some D-list villains who just got out of jail. With which no is brilliant. Skills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to interrupt you on that, but I just got to say one thing, you know, the feel that that Ant-Man run had when he starts hiring Grizzly and the machinist to work for him, uh, it had the same feel as the superior foes of Spider-Man, if you ever caught that book, where uh, just sort of these, like, exactly, these D-list villains that have never really accomplished anything because they're constantly being thwarted, you know, by Spider-Man or whatever, and uh, they're just kind of, you know... For lack of a better word, they're just kind of fuck ups, you know, and and it's just perfect because because Scott Lang uh, is just a lovable fuck up, you know. He's this this ex thief that you know uh, gets broken out of jail by Hank Pym, and uh, you know this is after he stole the suit, and Hank Pym gives him the graces to say you keep the suit, keep doing your thing, but we're gonna do good stuff now. So he approaches Stark at the beginning of the, of the series, and I just get a kick out of it. He yeah. wants to work for Stark as security, and his whole pitch for that is, who better to guard your stuff than someone who used to steal your stuff? <laughs> or something along those lines, and I just got the biggest kick out of that. Uh, and, and then from there, obviously, when he goes down to Miami, he gets the job from Stark, and then he, he blows Stark off. Stark didn't want to give him the job anyways because he knows the guy's a screw-up and he's unreliable. Right. And uh, then the whole stuff down in Miami where he's living in the uh, the dollhouse, you know, I just, I love it. I got a kick out of it. Ant-Man is definitely one of my top five picks as well. But uh, yeah. I'll let you continue with your uh, your picks here, and then we'll go. Um, let's see. Well, as far as the fringe is concerned, I mean, I don't partake in the Marvel fringe as much as you do. So, uh, well, I guess we'll go, well, like, well, I also really like Howard the Duck. I mean, it's been really silly, but that's the best part about it. Oh, yeah. Well, How- Howard the Duck, and I, I forget who's writing that right now. Uh, I love how, you know, you got this silly character who doesn't really belong in the Marvel Universe at all, but he's there. Yeah, and he, was a, he was a Lucas property, right? They they ended mm-hmm. up getting the rights to Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I think it was like all the Lucasfilm characters. Uh, yeah. Because the original Howard the Duck was this ridiculous 80s movie where he goes back in time and he ends up like like getting in this relationship with this like girl band lead singist guitarist and it just ends up like really weird and then he ends up becoming the band's manager and then he ends up having to like fight these like weird looking claymation figure from outer space which like ends up like possessing the body of like the principal from ferris bueller's day off (laughs) and the thought of howard the duck fighting anyone for that matter is just silly to begin with yeah he's just such a strange character but in this capacity what he is he's kind of like the ultimate fringe character in the marvel universe he set up his own private eye agency and he's there to like make money off of investigating things that you want seen and done and then i guess right now he's in the middle of this ridiculous arc where I guess there are these, like, other gems that are kind of like the Infinity Gems, only they're more ridiculous, and they all have to do with, like, 
dancing. There's like two dance gems and like a couple other <laughs> silly ones. And and he's like in league with like Doctor Strange, and then he's doing something with Johnny Storm. And the funny thing is, is like every time a character actually ends up interacting with Howard the Duck, they end up acting completely different from what they uh, would normally be portrayed as if the book was serious. So it 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 it, it really shines light. And it makes light, and it adds humor to the Marvel universe that can sometimes take itself way too seriously. You know, I can think of a perfect example of what you're talking about in my head right now. And Howard the Duck, number one, uh, he's approaching Spider-Man on a rooftop uh, to try to get help in finding Black Cat, who had stolen some necklace or amulet that his client was looking to get back. So, you know, Spider-Man, who typically cares about everyone except for himself, uh, is, you know, up on the rooftop not really giving the duck, a, you know, a time of day and, you know... He's not listening to the issue. He's, he's, and then, you know, they part ways and he says, you know, lose my number, duck. So it's sort of like, you know, Spider-Man would never act like that because Spider-Man cares about everyone. But in this case, he doesn't because it's just a stupid duck. Yeah, he just blows him off. It's a duck in a suit. And he just blows him off. It turns out to be, you know, a situation where he's needed. Black cat. Uh, well, it actually ends up quite hilarious because by the time number three comes along, uh, some villains using senior citizens to rob people, and one of them turned out to be Aunt May. And then Howard the Duck ends up tracking down Aunt May because she just, like, robbed him. And he ends up, like, giving her the business. And she's like, oh, I have no idea what happened. So they end up enlisting her into, like, sneaking in to find this ring of, like, senior citizens who are robbing stuff from this other minor villain. And then to, like, the end, of, like, at the beginning of 4, once everything's foiled, like, you see Peter Parker showed up and he knows who Howard the Duck is. And he's just mean mugging, mugging the dog shit out of him because he, he just, he just like totally like just put his aunt in harm's way. Oh, just complete it, silliness. It's just so ridiculous. And like the cops hate him too. Like nobody likes Howard the Duck. <laughs> well, that's sort of his shtick. Um, so what other picks do you have? Uh, I do believe that kind of covers the Marvel fringe. We should probably go on to talk about the cinematic universe. Well, before that, I'd just like to give my five picks real quick. I'm just going to rattle them off here. Um, if I were to go into a bookstore right now, well, I already picked up my books for the week. But uh, for Marvel, personally, what's worth picking up? Uh, you can't go wrong with Uncanny X-Men, even though right now we're waiting for issue 600 uh, to really complete the arc they're going on with right now. Uh, long and the short of it, Bendis has been doing a, a killer job making Scott Summers the most undesirable mutant uh, in all of Marvel, Marvel U. And it, it's really, you talk about changing characters and evolving them. This is one case where it was done gracefully, and it was just... Excellent. It was just executed well. Uh, Scott Summers is now a huge heel. Uh, and we're left off with that powerful mutant, uh, Matthew Malloy, that Xavier had been hiding from everyone. Uh, and of course, Summers is trying to manipulate him to be on his side so he can have the most powerful mutant to, uh, 
start obliterating the human race. Right. And there's other mutants calling bullshit on them, and it's interesting stuff. Uh, everyone freaks out. Like, the X-Men, effectively, over the past year, has been set into two factions. There's the Jean Grey School, which consists of most of the original X-Men, and then there's Scott Summers' Cyclops, with, uh, he's been running along with Magneto, the White Queen, uh, Emma Frost, um, and these new mutants that he's end up, uh, saving. And it's weird, cause he's, in the world, he's kinda considered, like, a pariah, but he's also considered, like, an enormous civil rights leader. And, uh, the dynamic that he has between the two, no one likes him, but everyone respects him, cause he's, he's, they're afraid he's going to be like, oh, well, the mutants are going to kill all the humans now. Cause, and he keeps threatening that because that's the only way that humanity will kind of leave mutants alone. And uh, it's been coming along uh, for a while. And then after that uh, arc that you just mentioned, now things are kind of coming to a head. Uh, it's going to give resolution to other arcs that have been going on with all new X-Men, which has kind of been following the Uncanny X-Men in parallel. And 600 is going to wrap up my and Michael Bendis' run. Um, so real quick, why don't we just get our like top five? But, I mean, all these are subject to change because after Secret Wars, everything's going to be different. Exactly. So, yeah, Uncanny X-Men also can't go wrong with all new X-Men. Just real quick. Uh Way back in Battle of the Atom, if you read that far back, uh, Hank McCoy decides to uh, uh, use a time machine to uh, get the original members of the, the original X-Men team uh, in present day to try to get some inspiration going to fix this big mess that uh, all these... X-Men, uh, these mutants are in right now with the two factions and no one getting along and all that. So the whole plan backfires on Hank. Uh, now you have the original five, you know, you got Jean Grey, the original Jean Grey, original Cyclops, original Hank McCoy, original Iceman, original Angel, and they're all in present day along with their future selves. And they can't go back. They can't figure out a way to fix it. And they're here. But because of that, uh, it's made for a really exciting book about the original five characters. And it's just been a great read. So that's one of my picks. Uh, also can't go wrong with Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I've been reading that book since uh, they put out number zero maybe a year before the movie came out. The movie was top notch, obviously. And uh, the book has just been coinciding with that beautifully. Uh, once again... Brian Michael Bendis seems to be the name of the podcast here, but he's been doing a fantastic job on that. Uh, Ant-Man is on the list, number four. Uh, we talked a blue streak about that. The movie's coming out, and, and the comic uh, was well, just like, so much fun. In like a week, right? It'll be in theaters in about a week. July 17th, and I cannot wait. Paul Rudd is going to be the perfect Scott Lang. It's going to be so much fun. And then my last pick, of course, being a little biased to the fringe, uh, The Punisher. Because it's just a no-nonsense crime noir book right now, and you just can't go wrong with it. So those are my five picks. What do you got? Uh, I pretty much picked everything the same, except my number five is Howard the Duck, because I really don't read that much Marvel. That'll right. probably change, though, since... 
Well, Howard the Duck was highly entertaining, too. So. Well, I mean, I liked it because it was just like, I, I picked up the number one on a whim, and I didn't have any expectations for it whatsoever. And I was so entertained by it, but now it's like in my stack, and I'm picking it up every week. So Likewise. Um, yeah, other than that, all my picks are oh, more right. or less the same. I mean, I didn't really put mine in any particular order. I mean, I put numbers next to them, but I, I mean, I don't necessarily... Yeah, I feel that the number well really matters to me all that much. It's a, it's and you know it's I all mean, it's all good. Uh, so let me the, get the podcast now. I mean, I guess we'll we'll do an episode where we do just lists. That could be a thing, right? That could definitely be a thing. Boy, do I love lists. Oh, who can't uh, lists for everything? We'll do a shit list too. All the books we hate. <laughs> so, anyways, um, if you are a new reader and you are looking for interesting Marvel material, check out. Uncanny X-Men, all-new X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Punisher, and Howard the Duck at your local retailer. Now, one last segment for the cast today is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is probably, to me, the most exciting aspect of Marvel right now, because, you know, their books have been, of course, they've been great and everything, but the movies just get me, man. I just... I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I want to live within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I just want to stay there and not come out and not pay my bills or anything. But yeah, unfortunately, that's a little re- unrealistic. So anyways, let's discuss. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's been one of the major strengths of the company. For, for a long time, comic properties on other mediums, it just wasn't like of a viable way to make anything of quality. Usually what they'd do is they'd slap a X-Men or a Spider-Man on something and, and then the product would be uh, hit or miss and usually it'd be miss. I mean, one of the few things in the early days was uh like the X-Men cartoon that used to be on Saturday mornings on Fox and the Spider-Man cartoon. I mean, those were like the only things you could really as Marvel was concerned as far as Marvel was concerned that would be really like get you involved and have good interesting stories and wouldn't deviate too much from the source material and ally an outlet uh, provide an outlet for people who weren't real familiar with uh with these characters or with the literature yeah yeah uh i got to tell you those those 90s cartoons were the still to this day my favorite pieces of marvel media yeah my favorite pieces of media in general i mean for a long time it just seemed like you you couldn't do anything outside of the the, like animation because there were a lot of other animations that really just were not good at all like the hulk cartoon was mediocre the fantastic four cartoon was worse than that i believe i remember you calling it a quote-unquote turd at one point oh that sounds like something i'd say (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But yeah, over the course of time, we see all these uh technological advancements with CGI and this and that. And now uh these major comic book labels, Marvel sort of being the pioneers in this. Yeah, they uh, are, they are the front runner as far as live action is going right now. And I'd like to say, you know, the Marvel movies started, you know, I'd like to say it it really started with X-Men. I mean, that's a Fox property right now still, but 
that's what really started getting people into it. And then the original Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire. And then they realized, like, oh, we're getting, you know, really good viewership. We're doing well with the box offices. Let's get Marvel Studios itself to start making making movies. And, and then, I believe the first... Uh, the first Iron Man. First Man Iron Man was, uh, kicked off... hit. Yeah. And then after that, it really didn't matter much because the properties were worth so much at that point that Disney just kind of swooped in and bought Marvel Comics. Smart um, move by them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and they, I mean, and things have remained consistently. I think they're just kind of letting the people who are in charge before continue to do what they're doing and, uh, things are going real well. So now the days of horrible video games and coons. Are, are the past and now we get because of this technological breakthroughs we have excellent uh excellent movies live action movies and that just, are very involved and in depth and, and it's they get you they suck you in and they're amazing and it's just a, it makes it a great time to be a geek frankly uh so we got phase one they call avengers assemble where they had iron man one and two Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton, first Captain America, first Thor. Uh, then they went into phase two, uh, which is, you know, the Captain America sequel, Thor sequel, Avengers. Avengers, uh, phase two kicked off with the first Avengers movie, actually. And phase two finished with Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, so now we are in phase three of the Marvel Universe, uh, kicking off with Ant-Man. And within Phase 3, we are going to be looking at some phenomenal films coming up over the next few years, the next five or six years that they have already announced. Uh, a third Thor movie, Ragnarok. Uh, I don't know much about that one yet. Uh, a third Captain America movie, Civil War, where we have, uh, you know, the Avengers kind of split up and half are going to go with Steve Rogers, half are going to go with Tony Stark. They're going to duke it out. Well, I don't know if it's going to how much it's going to follow the story arc of the same name that was done by Mark Miller. Um, during that arc in particular, it was everyone who had superpowers was made to register with S.H.I.E.L.D. And a lot of them were like, well, I'm not registering with S.H.I.E.L.D. That's crazy. Like, what are you trying to do here? And it ended up dividing them into two factions, um, the side with the powers that didn't want to comply, and then the plot, the side that did – which more or less ended up getting employed by S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was just, uh, it was pretty much just Tony Stark versus Steve Rogers at that point. And now, who was, is, I never, I haven't read the Civil War arc yet. Now, who is actually the one that sympathizes with the government, uh, contract? Is that, is that Steve Rogers or uh, is that Stark? The, that would actually be Tony Stark. Ah, because you think and, of you think of Stark as more of the rebel. Well, I think the reason he really wanted to head it up as himself is he didn't trust Shield with the information of all the secret identities, right? Of, he never all of all his friends. So he's like, all right, well, things have kind of gotten out of hand. Like some heroes just don't know what they're doing, and innocent people get hurt. So I believe that they should be registered and held accountable. But I don't believe that Shield has the qualifications. To overlook, he basically he didn't trust Shield. And he's never he's never trusted of, Shield to take care of business as far as that concerned. So he wanted to like have a more like a gentle hand in taking care of it because he felt that if he was the one to do it, then more people might 
find it reasonable or something. But I mean, Tony Stark also doesn't like really get along with everybody really well. And more often than not, people are just forced to deal with him because he's so smart and he's right about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the way the arc went down is eventually villain, some villains ended up working for S.H.I.E.L.D., some villains ended up siding with Captain America. And it just turned into this us-versus-them scenario where they're both fighting on both sides. And in the end, Cap just gives himself up because he just realized that everything just turned into this big, dumb mess. And... uh so my 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 point was is that actually Age of Ultron just came out in theaters and it doesn't the storyline there doesn't really resemble the storyline from the Age of Ultron story arc that Brian Michael Bendis did a couple of years ago. But I mean another thing with that is Marvel has a horrible habit and they're just like, "Hey, I got this great idea. We got the story arc." And like they have no originality when it comes to naming things. Quite right. literally, the original, there was an original Secret Wars, and it was done back in 85, 86. And it was its own thing, and all these heroes came together, and it was a great story. Well, they're doing a Secret Wars now, but it has nothing to do with the original Secret Wars whatsoever. And it just kind of bugs me. You got all these people who, their claim to fame is that they're like some of the most creative people you can think of as far as storytelling. And you mean to tell me that you can't pick a name that's different from something you did like 25 years ago? Exactly. I, I agree with, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, if you look at, and, and there's so many examples of this. I mean, you look at Days of Future Past, you got the original arc from the 80s as well, which is a lot different from the cartoon in the 90s that they did, which is also a lot different from the Days of Future Past movie. All three are great. You know, excellent stories. Oh, they, they're all they're great all they're own, all very you know slightly different from each other. They're great in their own right. It's just uh, I mean, it's also important not to nitpick too much because I mean they're kind of set in their ways. I guess they try to use these names to build up interest because a lot of people are familiar with a lot of the old stuff. Um, but I mean, when it comes right down to it, like if you're really that creative, come up with a different name. Don't be that lazy. It's lazy. Amen, brother. Amen. So, so, uh, some other films for phase three that we can look forward to, uh, are also going to include the Inhumans. They're going to be bringing them to the screen, uh, which will be interesting. Uh, we mentioned the Thor and the Captain America, uh, sequels or, or third movies there for those trilogies. Um, let's um see. Deadpool, the new Spider-Man. They got, uh, I, I'm guessing that another Fantastic Four will be out. I mean, they're not necessarily part of Phase 3, but they're still considered Marvel properties and movies. Well, yeah, exactly. Then you want to talk, you want to talk about some of the other properties that are coming out during the phase three time period, but are not directly linked to phase three because of the Fox and Sony properties. Yeah. This uh, is what happens when, uh, when you write, when you write contracts to people that last way too long. Yeah. Uh, especially think- Sony. And boy, I am just freaking thrilled that Marvel has gotten some of those rights back. Now, they still have to share it with Sony, apparently. I, I believe they're, like, sharing the revenue, but, I mean, I, it's in everybody's interest. Having Spider-Man and more stuff, not only does it make the fans happy, but now they're both going to make way more money because of it, and they and they both know that, so... And I believe, you know, they just cast a new Spider-Man, and, and there's been some controversy over this, uh... Personally, I'm very happy with the situation with the, you know, they cast Tom Holland. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, what 
he's done for work, you know, on screen before. But, uh, you know, Stan gave him the thumbs up. He said that he's going to, you know, Stan thinks he's going to be a great Spider-Man. What more do I need? If Stan puts his seal of approval on it, uh, that's good enough for me. I yeah, mean, I guess there's some outrage among, like, well, people who uh, are just more liberal-minded. They're, they're freaking out that I guess something, some contract came out and it was that Sony was would not be allowed to write Spider-Man as a person of color or gay. And well, what, Stan Stan made uh, that public statement. I think that exact. Yeah, he for you know. For as long as Stan Lee's alive, uh, Stan Lee said that Spider-Man is going to be a, uh, straight white male. I mean, he created the character. I say if anybody has the right to decide, you know, the character's ethnicity and sexual preference, it should be him. Yeah. Well, I mean, another thing is, it's like all these people wanting to have, take liberties with changing, like, certain aspects of a character. Giving them sex so, changes. Yeah. Some of, some of them work. Like, uh, like Samuel Jackson is the new Nick Fury. That just works extremely well. I that was no great. Yeah. That. Um, I mean, they're doing some other changes with that. And the, but people being outraged that they can't change these characters. Well, I mean, if you don't like the fact that you don't have a certain character of a certain ethnicity and a certain sexual preference, What's to stop people from creating a character that meets that demographic? I mean, in, in, in creativity and everything else, you, you can make brand new characters. I don't really – it's just kind of a pet peeve of mine that when you yeah. change one, I mean, if you do, you should have a pretty good reason to do it, not just do it just because like, oh, well, now we can have more people buying popcorn on the weekend, you know? Well, that's it. And another perfect example of this is the casting of Michael B. Jordan uh, as Johnny Storm in the new Fantastic Four, which I just found out today hasn't even received a rating yet. Um, yeah, I don't you know, know. I, it... I'm excited because I saw the trailer and the CGI looks phenomenal. But I gotta say, like once again, this randomly changing characters, you know, changing their ethnicity, changing their sexual sexual preference doesn't actually really make make too much of a difference to me either. Because you know, when I look at a story arc and I look at a character, I don't care if they like guys or girls or both or whatever. I care about what's going on in the story and how that character plays into it. So. It's like it's more of a visual thing, I think, for me, where I'm reading a book and I am used to seeing a character look a certain way. I get a little irritated when, you know, a white character is all of a sudden, a, a, you know, a character of a different ethnicity. You know, it's it, it kind of throws like an unnecessary curveball at the reader. I understand that, you know, once again, you want characters to evolve, but no one evolves into a different ethnicity. Or a different sex, you know. You got uh, what Marvel did with Thor, you know, giving him giving him a sex change. That's not really what happened. Uh, well, Jane uh, Jane Foster <laughs> uh, Jane Foster was uh, endowed with the power of Thor and was worthy of picking up the hammer and all that good jazz. But you get the idea. So uh, <laughs> that aside, though, I am still excited. Just. I don't really know why. I guess the CGI excites me, but for uh, for Fantastic Four, I will see it. Uh, but that is one little thing that just irks me is how they do that to characters. So um, we're almost out of time here. 
yeah. But I just want to mention one well, more we, thing. We should probably just thank everybody for actually listening to us talk if they got this far. Well, yeah, it's been a lot of babble, but uh, if you're with us this far, yeah, then, that's uh, what we do. <laughs> if you've been with us this long, uh, we'll give you a complimentary lollipop or something. Anyways, um, I just want to mention uh, real quick, just touch upon uh, what Marvel has been doing with uh, their Netflix series. And obviously anybody who has seen uh, the Daredevil series, season one, that came out a few months back, I was just completely blown away. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character, you know, they, they cast him as a kingpin, and he was just couldn't have been more spot on with the character. Uh, some of the other minor characters that were in that, uh, story as well, uh, Ben Urick, uh, Karen Page, uh, Leland Owlsey, who got thrown down an elevator shaft by the Kingpin. Well, he'll be back, obviously, as the owl. Uh, cool stuff. It's very much, uh, mirrored, uh, Frank Miller's Man Without Fear. Uh, very gracefully, very on point, you know, with the original black outfit he was wearing starting out. Uh, the episode they had with Stick was just phenomenal. Um, and they've obviously, uh, already declared season two. They're actually shooting it right now. They have cast The Punisher, John Berthal from The Walking Dead, who's gonna be so good. And, uh, they actually just cast Electra yesterday, uh, I forget the name of the actress, <laughs> but uh, she she does look the part uh, completely. So uh, now the interesting thing about these Netflix series, and they're going to be doing more series with other defenders or quote unquote street level characters. Uh, you know, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones. Although the Jessica Jones series apparently got canceled i think they're gonna they're gonna throw her in with the other defenders but uh all of these defenders uh these netflix characters they have the same movie contracts as the other marvel cinematic characters where when it comes time for them to do the infinity war and all that jazz and they get all the heroes in the marvel universe put together on screen those net characters from the netflix series like daredevil and electra and punisher and all that jazz they have contracts to be in those movies, which is really neat because you follow the Netflix series, you get to know the characters really well, and then you see them on the big screen. Uh, for me, as a fan, there's not much better than that. That is just the coolest thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Daredevil was excellent. And then I guess uh, I've been hearing really good things about Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. But I, right, and those characters as well. Once again, movie contracts for all of them. You got Earthquake, Mockingbird... Uh, I haven't gotten through the end of season two yet. I but. actually think they, they created some characters specifically for the series. I don't think they're actual Inhumans. Or, I mean, they are now. Right. I mean, you know how it goes. Something takes on on TV, then it'll go ahead, a la Harley Quinn. Yep, that's a perfect example of that. Yeah. So, Well, uh, we've certainly covered a lot of ground here today within the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, lots of great stuff to look forward to uh, at the movie theater as well as your local retailers. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and stay tuned next week as Vigilant Geek covers the DC Comics Universe. All right. Uh, yes, what he said. I am Andrew Puzak from Vigilant Geek Media. I am Holden Orm, also from Vigilant Geek Media. 
And we wish you a very vigilant day. Uh, you think we should plug the website or something? We actually don't really have one yet. We plug the blog. Plug the blog? Plug the blog. All right. And for those of you who want to know a little bit more about the realm of comic books uh, in regards to Marvel, DC, Valiant, Image, also... Uh, any independent projects that are deemed interesting by Holden or myself, uh, feel free to check out our blog online, which is uh, www.blogspot.vigilantgeek.com. Is that, is that the right thing? Is that it? Why am I asking you? I don't know. All right. Well, here. Um, I mean, Vig- I'm, there'll be links, right? We'll put links. We'll, we'll put links. Okay. There'll be links. Click links. The links will tell you where to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, links, we got them. All right. I think after we say goodbye, we're going to have to cancel, cut all the rest of this crap out. But No, this is fine. This is behind-the-scenes stuff. That's already okay. part of the actual thing. All right. Yeah, banter. All right, well, I'm, I'm done talking. How about you? I'm done bantering as well. It's been a great cast. We'll all see right. you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.